Green Dreamer is a community-supported show backed mostly by listener patrons like you. Today's episode is also sponsored by Made Trade, one of the very few consciously curated online stores that I direct my friends and family to for everything from home goods to clothing, accessories, and holiday gifts. Made Trade makes a really easy to shop ethically made and earth-minded products, and every purchase directly supports small businesses, independent makers, as well as artisan communities from around the globe that are working to preserve their their own biocultural diversity and craftsmanship. They're also a woman-owned family-run company that offsets carbon emissions from all shipping and donates a percentage of every purchase to the nonprofit Fibershed, whose founder Rebecca Burgess, you might recall having been a repeat guest on this show, talking about their work revitalizing local and regenerative textile systems. So if you're looking for ethically made, eco-conscious, and fair trade gifts for loved ones or yourself this holiday season, I highly recommend checking out Made Trade and you can get 10% off your first order at madetrade.com slash green dreamer. That's M-A-D-E-T-R-A-D-E dot com slash green dreamer. The economic system that has become dominant. And in fact, I, I would say most of the economic systems, whether it is capitalism, socialism or communism, that all emerged during the is an outcome, I guess, of the Industrial Revolution and then in the course of the 1800s, they all actually share, at odds as they may sound politically, they all share one thing in common, which is this idea of humans as dominant over the natural world and the natural world as a, a source of resources for the economy. Whichever way you run the economy, that concept is common to different, ideologically different economic systems. This is the last episode of Green Dreamer's fall season, and thank you so much for continuing to listen in and your commitment to learning with us. As we take a few weeks of break after this episode and before the launch of our new season, I will be republishing some of the most impactful and relevant past episodes for us to reflect on again and think about more deeply in terms of how they apply to this current time that we're in. These are some of my favorite conversations and ones that influenced or moved me personally the most. And I will also be adding some of my updated and additional commentary. So the show does go on. We're not going anywhere. And in the meantime, if you're able to reciprocate to the show um, through small donations, that would help us a lot to be able to continue this work. We're on Patreon at greendreamer.com support. And you can also make a one-time contribution through PayPal at greendreamer.com PayPal or purchase one of our 2021 planners if you need it at greendreamer.com shop. Anyhow, this is part two of our conversation with Dr. Louisa Maffi, who co-founded and leads the nonprofit Terralingua, dedicated to protecting and revitalizing biocultural diversity. We pick up where we left off in the last episode here, discussing what it means to champion a new type of extinction rebellion, namely a biocultural extinction rebellion. How all of our current forms of political and economic frameworks from socialism, communism, capitalism, and so on, all actually share a common worldview of natural resources and so much more. So Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey. 
Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. I was just talking about recently how Western environmentalists tend to seek for one-size-fits-all solutions to a lot of environmental issues when using ecological impact assessments to try to find answers for, you know, what is the most sustainable diet? What is the most eco-friendly fiber to use for fashion? What is the most eco-friendly some sort of practice for something? And Mm -hmm. my perspective is that by taking these one-size-fits-all approaches, that can perpetuate the homogenization of biodiversity, language, and culture. So I am personally opposed to those sort of top-down, standardized approaches to doing Mm -hmm. things. That's another really important point. The lessons, of course, uh, of uh, approaches that starts with uh, cultural and linguistic diversity is that standardized measures don't fit. We need to take the cue from the... uh, indigenous communities or local communities who live in the places where conservation is done or where solutions to other environmental problems are are being sought. Take climate change. You know, I I remember already, oh, more than two decades ago when, when the issue of climate change was coming to the fore, I heard that scientists were Uh, discovering that, uh, say, Inuit and other people in the Arctic had actually been observing these changes for much longer than the scientists had. And so they were beginning to talk to to, to elders about the changes that they had observed on the ground. And uh, and that's really a a key example of how scientists might might have missed the boat, so to speak, uh, by not realizing that traditional knowledge is knowledge, is in-depth knowledge based on keen observation uh, over long periods of time. So the, the, uh, the value of traditional knowledge is, is also slowly becoming much more uh, recognized and accepted and, and the fact that it is an essential component of uh, uh, seeking solutions both locally and globally. So all that pool of knowledge that uh, different human societies have accumulated over time by living in place, uh, by interacting with the local ecosystems and uh, the species in, in those ecosystems, providing for their own survival and subsistence and you know material and spiritual well-being, while at the same time caring for the life systems that provide uh, life to them. And that has been the hallmark of human existence for, uh, again, centuries or, or millennia until I guess within the context of Western civilization, uh, we we started losing sight of that fundamental uh, interdependence and started thinking of ourselves as separate from and uh, dominant over uh, the natural world, as uh, as I was mentioning earlier. And that's the lesson that we need to relearn and remember in seeking solutions for the predicament that we have created for ourselves. Right. Right. I also wonder if 
part of the greatest challenges that we have is not necessarily globalization in of itself, because as you said, diversification can happen alongside of globalization. I wonder if it's just this economic system that we've this dominant economic system and what it values and incentivizes is at odds with diversification and the decentralization of power. So for example, lab-grown, genetically modified, maybe patented plant-based food, there's a lot of money to make off of that compared to really promoting bioregional regenerative food systems. Or for example, this dominant culture might value people that are able to speak the dominant languages or do the things that this dominant culture values and wants them to do. And that might prevent people from indigenous cultures or these localized communities to have the capacity to learn a lot of the cultural traditions that may have been passed down from from their families and from their cultures, because this system doesn't value them in doing that. So... To try yes. to be able to survive the system that's been imposed mm-hmm. on them, I wonder if that might be a barrier. Oh, absolutely. And uh, the economic system that has become dominant. And in fact, I, I would say most of the economic systems, wh- whether it is capitalism, socialism or communism, that all emerged during the as an outcome, I guess, of the Industrial Revolution and then in the course of the 1800s. They all actually share, at odds as they may sound uh, politically, they (laughs) all share one thing in common, which is this idea of humans as dominant over the natural world and the natural world as a, a source of resources for the economy. Whichever way you run the economy, that concept is common to different ideologically different economic systems. So uh, the disconnect between humans and the natural world, it it really lies at the core of, I would uh, contend, most of the economic systems that that we've developed in uh, in the past couple of centuries. And uh, indeed, the, the, the effort that we need to engage in today is to overcome that disconnect, uh, not only in, in society, but but also specifically uh, in our economic systems and start thinking of economies that, that are respectful of uh, and enhancing of the, the life systems that sustain us, uh, all other species, and ultimately economies themselves by, by continuing uh, on a path of endless economic growth, which requires, of course, endless use of uh, resources, both renewable and non-renewable, but renewable resources are being depleted to to a faster rate than they can replenish. Uh, We are just on a self-destructive path. And uh, the the idea that we can continue to do this uh, on a finite planet was already, of course, brought out in the early 80s. And that... uh, led to the development of the idea of sustainable development. But unfortunately, the idea of sustainable development didn't go far enough because it was still kind of resource-based. So the, the, the key idea there was to ensure that the continuity of uh, availability of resources for future generations. But it did not take an ecological perspective, let alone a biocultural, ecocultural perspective, and, and recognize, first of all, that 
the natural world is not just about resources. It's a web of life and you have to, to sustain the web of life. You have to sustain life systems in order to for, for the natural world to be able to replenish. And uh, so it has to go far beyond wise use of resources. Mm-hmm. And of course, cultural diversity, let alone linguistic diversity, were not part of the equation of sustainable development. So today when we talk about sustainability, we really need to uh, to talk about biocultural sustainability or ecocultural sustainability. And uh, the fundamental principle of a new economy will have to be for the economy to contribute to sustaining life system, not contribute to destroying life systems, which is unfortunately what uh, we see today. Based on my observation, it's definitely true that a lot of frameworks within the field of sustainability have still been taking on an anthropocentric viewpoint as opposed to an ecocentric viewpoint. And even with an ecocentric viewpoint, that doesn't mean the dismissal of our humanity. It just means that we see ourselves as embedded within this system. So with your mission at Terralingua to help preserve biocultural diversity, because it's an even broader and more uh, multi-layered topic than biodiversity, which in of itself is already uh, very complex, what sorts of programs or initiatives have the nonprofit taken to support this goal? Well, we started out uh, early on, we've been around for 25 years now, and and, uh, again, initially, We, we had stumbled upon this concept, which, as I said earlier on, may be second nature for uh, indigenous peoples and, and local communities, but uh, it certainly wasn't within the academic environment. So we started with research to, to bring out these, uh, these in- interconnections. And we worked on maps, you know, maps of the world showing the, the overlaps between biodiversity and linguistic diversity and, and the, the, uh, the ways in which um, parts of the world where, where biodiversity was highest uh, were also places of highest linguistic diversity with, with several core areas of what we call biocultural diversity uh, in uh, South America, in Southeast Asia and, and uh, the, the Pacific, uh, in uh, Western and Central Africa and so on. Uh, that, of course, didn't mean that people and environment were, were not interconnected elsewhere, wherever the, uh, humans have lived uh, in close contact with and dependence on the, the local ecosystems uh, th- that uh, I- interdependence w- was, uh, was established and uh, is what has allowed both people and biodiversity to, to, to thrive. Th- then we also wanted to provide evidence that was more than anecdotal as to what was happening with the world uh, linguistic diversity. And uh, so we, we started developing uh, those indicators of the state and trends of the world's languages, which uh, 
as we touched on early on in this conversation, we we found, unfortunately, were uh, downward trends now luckily countered by uh, all the language revitalization work that's happening around the world. So those were ways of bringing up the issues. And uh, because we, we worked at the global level and we uh, chose to work closely with uh, international organizations, uh, UN agencies, and conservation organizations, uh, and so on, we, we were able to contribute in, in uh, significant ways to putting these issues on, uh, on the global map of, of the global conversation. And that's how we contributed to, to that shift in, in uh, way of thinking and approach, uh, for instance, to, to biodiversity conservation and, uh, or ecoregion conservation and so on. Having done that, uh, we, we really uh, b- began to think that the next step was to create broader awareness uh, within the larger public about the value of diversity in nature and culture. And so much of uh, our work in in more recent times has been uh, of the education and outreach kind. And we have uh, worked with educators in uh, in universities and and to some extent uh, schools to to promote awareness and um, are developing educational materials that, that we hope can become part of um, the curriculum, for instance, in, in high schools. And above all, we've uh, worked to start and foster a conversation, a global conversation about these issues through our uh, magazine. We, we uh, early on had started this little organizational newsletter, which we called Landscape, a combination of language and landscape. Sometime uh, along the way, back in 2008, we started thinking that maybe the newsletter should become a magazine, uh, so not just reporting on uh, the organization's activities, but beginning to feature stories from authors from around the world on biocultural topics. And uh, little by little, it has really flourished. And uh, at this point, it is a both online and PDF uh, plus print designed magazine which carries stories from uh, literally Siberia to Tierra del Fuego and, and countries all, all around the equator, which is extraordinary and has brought so much insight and, and, and perspective from uh, all corners of the world, which we could have never imagined for ourselves. So this is what we're really most passionate about right now and what brings us the greatest joy in, in our work today to be able to feature all these voices of the earth and learn from them and put it out there for everybody else to um, hear and learn and, and be inspired. In particular, you know, we're very proud of, of a project we did last year. As you may know, uh, 2019 was the International Year of Indigenous Languages, one of the United Nations celebrations. And uh, we we thought of participating with a special issue of the magazine, which we um, devoted to entirely to stories by and about Indigenous youth. Uh, so we put out uh, a call for stories. 
And the story started flowing and it, it just blew our minds. Uh, you, you know, the youngest contributor is probably 18 and the oldest we had a, you know, broad range, but uh, maybe 35. So the, the new generations of indigenous peoples and, um, we had to subtitle that issue of the magazine, Restoring, Re-Storing Biocultural Diversity, Wisdom from Young Indigenous Leaders, because wisdom it was. It was absolutely extraordinary what uh, insights those, those youth brought to the topic. Some talking about language revitalization, some talking about restoring and bringing back uh, traditional knowledge and, and cultural traditions and ceremonies and, and so on. Uh, some talking about reestablishing a relationship with the land. It all formed part of this tapestry of, of biocultural diversity and, and to, to uh, learn about the the passion and, and, and commitment of uh, of these youth was uh, amazing. All the stories are, are now online on, on our website, and uh, we, we put together a double issue, special double issue of the magazine, which is also richly illustrated with each of the contributors also provided photos and, and artwork and so on and so forth. It, it's uh, it's completely authentic and and one of the most extraordinary collections that, that we have uh, had so far in the magazine. So that's uh, that's really something that inspires us a lot. And, and we hear from a lot of other people that they find it very inspiring too. The the youth were, uh, were thrilled to, to be able to express themselves so much so that many of them are contributing again this year. We have a new theme, which is... Um, countering the biocultural extinction. So it's the biocultural extinction rebellion uh, because we thought that the extinction rebellion movement really needs to broaden its scope and uh, and include uh, the, the cultural and linguistic aspects. So we launched this challenge and, and we're getting again uh, incredible contributions from all over the world, which are publishing a little bit at a time as, the, as they come along on, on our website. And we'll have another double issue in, in PDF and print at the end of the year. Because of the explosion of the pandemic, while we were already along the way with this particular theme, we, we also welcome contributions about how Indigenous communities are coping with and, and building resilience to uh, the pandemic and the ways in which uh, traditional spirituality and, and traditional knowledge are are helping cope uh, are, are also extremely inspiring. Mm-hmm. So we'll definitely have all of this linked in our show notes at greendreamer.com. And I really recommend our listeners go to check this out directly. And as we're closing off, you mentioned we need another extinction rebellion, a rebellion against Mm -hmm. the global loss of biocultural diversity and its consequences for the vitality and resilience of life in nature and culture. So how can we translate this huge overarching goal into action steps? What are some of your calls to action for our listeners wanting to support biocultural diversity? For indigenous peoples, the, the call is uh, in their blood, and so I wouldn't even uh, presume to to tell indigenous peoples how how to stage a biocultural <laughs> extinction rebellion. But for uh, for everyone, people from uh, all walks of life, I think the, the the first step is an awakening to 
the realization that we are part of nature, not separate from it, to, to uh, begin the process of reconnecting in their everyday lives and uh, as uh, citizens of this planet, and, and to understand that diversity, far from uh, being a, uh, a hindrance, is really a core characteristic and principle of life on Earth, and that uh, the the diversification and, and the maintenance of, of diversity on Earth is a major source of resilience. Just as we were saying earlier, diversity, say in crops, uh, agrobiodiversity or, or natural biodiversity, provide uh, strength and resilience to the natural world. Uh, so does our cultural diversity provide uh, strength and resilience uh, to, to human societies, and to go hand in hand as. Uh, the biocultural diversity movement, if you want to call it that way, has shown. So really to to uh, embrace these ideas and ideals in our everyday lives, uh, do everything that we can to uphold diversity. Of course, we're also in the midst uh, globally of, of a major reaction to some pretty brutal expressions of racism that have shown how systemic it is. And of course, you know, the biocultural diversity movement uh, stands against all of that, too. And uh, recognizing diversity beyond uh, all kinds of cultural linguistics and uh, so-called race uh, barriers uh, is all part of, uh, of the same process of awakening, of decolonizing our minds, of looking and finding, looking for and finding a... Uh, sustainable, viable, just future for humanity and all the other species that we share the planet with. Mm. Well, Green Dreamer, if you want to learn more and stay updated on Luisa's work at Terralingua, their Langscape magazine and Indigenous Youth Storytellers Circle Project that we just discussed, you can find all of this at www.terralingua.org and you can also follow them on Facebook at terralingua.and dot langscape dot magazine twitter at terralingua bcd and on instagram at terralingua dot langscape luisa i'm so grateful for this really enriching conversation and thank you so much for illuminating these really important intersections for us what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers well, keep educating yourself or yourselves. Uh, learn uh, as much as you can about the value of diversity in nature and cu culture. Be part of this awakening that we're beginning to see. And uh, let's all work in unity and diversity toward uh, the goal of changing the way we live on this planet and ma making life sustainable for all of us in our marvelous diversity, immersed in the diversity of the natural world. Well, this wraps up episode 280, the finale of our fall season of Green Dreamer. Today's song feature is Heat by Burn. Our audio producer is Scott Donnell, and our post-production content manager is Elizabeth Joy. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
To support the show, you can leave us a hopefully five-star review in the podcast app. I read all of these reviews and they mean a lot to me. And more importantly, they help other listeners like you to discover the show. We also appreciate any direct financial support you're able to give to us on Patreon at greendreamer.com slash support or on PayPal at greendreamer.com slash PayPal. And also, we're selling a limited number of 2021 planners, which are actually the same ones as last year, but they were made to be valid until December 2021 with 52 weeks of undated weeks. So you can use it for the entirety of the year 2021. And that you can find at greendreamer.com shop. This season concludes here, but the show does go on thanks to your support and the support of this community. So do stay tuned, take care, and I will catch you very soon again. 